Happy Mother's Day, everyone. Gentlemen, wink, wink. This is your last and final reminder. Gentlemen, it is Mother's Day. Wink, wink. There you go. You heard it here first. Um, you know, Mother's Day affects uh, all of us, whether you think this day is really for you or not, uh, whether you're a mom or not. We all have moms, right? right. We're all kids. We're all sons. We're all sons and daughters. And uh, it just unfortunately, the smaller kids get to go to Kingdom Quest, but you get to stay here. And we're going to have our own Kingdom Quest uh, in here this morning. So I'm glad that you've chosen to spend this special day uh, with us in God's house, but I also want to say uh, just a word uh, to those of you that um, maybe you wish you were moms, or uh, maybe uh, for those of you, uh, some this day can be maybe not so much full of joy. Uh, it can be a difficult day. Um, for those of you that have maybe lost a mom or for a mother that has uh, lost a child, today can be difficult. Um, maybe for some of you, there's a whole lot of stress surrounding today. Those of you that maybe have some family uh, in town, uh, it can be a stressful time. Or, or maybe that relationship with your mom, she's still around, but it's uh, a bit strained. Uh, and so today can be a difficult day. For others, this can be a great day. For some, a tough day. So I don't want to just sweep all of that under the rug. I just want to acknowledge that today. Um, but also say that no matter who you are and what's going on in your life today, uh, God knows right where you're at. And he's ready to meet you right where you're at this morning in the highs and lows and the roller coaster of life. Uh, you're in the right place today. I'm so glad that you've chosen to be in God's house to be reminded uh, of who you are and to know, we want you to know that this is a place of healing. This is a place of forgiveness. A lot of times when we face difficulties in our lives, we run away. Uh, there's nowhere else that we should be than God's house and with God's family to experience that today. So we want you to know that you've come to the right place today. And I also think it's important today to let the joy of the Lord uh, be our strength. And it's important to laugh a little. Do you like to laugh? Good. Even if you don't, deal with it. All right. All right. This is called, Why Did God Make Mothers? And so there's some questions here and they are answered by elementary kids. So like our kids that just left, if they were answering this question, this is probably something uh, like they would say. So question, why did God make mothers? So here's a few answers from elementary age kids. Why did God make mom? She's the only one who knows where the scotch tape is. Ab- absolutely essential. Here's a good one. Why did God make mothers? To help, uh, to help us out when we were getting born. So couldn't have done it without you, mom. Thanks for the whole the whole birthing thing. Um, how about this one? What kind of little girl was your mom? What, what was your mom like as a little girl? Uh, one kid said, I don't know because I wasn't there, but my guess would be she was pretty bossy. <laughs> there you go. Uh, oh, here's a good one. How did God make mothers, right? Because you made them specifically. How did God make mothers? Uh, first of all, he used dirt just like the rest of us, right? Of course. Here's a fun one. How did God make mothers? Magic powers, superpowers, and a lot of stirring. A lot of stirring. Uh, here's a fun one. Uh, what did mom need to know about dad before she married him? Women, pay attention here. What did mom need to know about dad before she married him? First of all, first answer, his last name. <laughs> Secondly, she had to know his background. Like, is he a crook or something? Number three, does he make at least $800 a year? Did he say no to drugs and yes to chores? It's important. Uh, Why did God give you your mother and not some other mom? Here's my favorite one. Why did God give give you your mother and not some other mom? Kid answered, duh, we're related. 
<laughs> Duh. Uh, what a great answer. Uh, who's the boss at your house? Ooh, here's could be a controversial one. Who's the boss at your house? Mom, she doesn't want to be the boss, but she has to be because dad's such a goofball. <laughs> Last couple here. What's the difference between moms and dads? Uh, first answer, dads are taller and stronger, but mom, moms have all the real power because that's who you've got to ask if you want to sleep over at your friend's house. It's important to remember. And last but not least, moms have magic. They make you feel better without medicine. Um, yeah, and you think about that. Um, there's something to that. There is something to that, isn't there? Something about that, something about this gift that moms are to the world, the, the unique ways that they reflect the image of God and, and the character and the nature of God. And so it's good that we laugh today. Uh, it's good that we giggle a little bit, but it's also important that we turn to God's word that has some pretty important things to say, uh, not only about motherhood, but uh, about all of us making an impact on this world. The call on each of our lives on this day when we specifically celebrate moms, the call on each of our lives to be caregivers, the call on each of our lives to be influencers, to truly make an impact on others. And so I just want to encourage you right now, no matter if you're a parent today or if you're without children currently or if you're single or if you're a grandparent or you're, you're empty nesters or whatever the case uh, might be, to not just assume that this message isn't for you. Um, on a day when we, we honor mothers specifically, it's, it's, easily, it's easy to forget that each of us have been charged with the task of stewardship, of caring for what's been given to us. Whether it's our family, whether it's uh, a set of gifts or possessions, our time, uh, maybe the friends that God's given you, each of us has, call, has been called to be faithful with those things that God has entrusted to our care. And at the end of our lives, I was thinking this week, you know, for, for all of us, today can be kind of a day where we get very reflective, right? But I believe for all of us, not just for moms and not just for women, for all of us, at the end of our lives, I believe every single one of us longs to hear the words of our Savior say what he said in Matthew 25 is this, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful with what you were given. Well done, good and faithful servant. I believe every single one of us, at the end of our lives, we long to hear that. We long to be people who make an influence, who make an impact in life. And so today, we're going to discover what that looks like. We're going to discover how we can know for sure that we'll get to the end of our lives and we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And to discover that, we're going to start in the most unlikely of places, Greece, in the city of Corinth. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Acts chapter 18, and we're going to go back in time a little bit today. If you need a Bible, again, they're on the ends of the rows. Just kind of elbow the person next to you. We're going to be digging into this today, so you're going to want a Bible in front of you to follow along. It'll really help you. So Acts chapter 18, and we're going to start right at the beginning. As you're turning there, you'll remember that we're in this series called the Acts of the Apostles that we've been in since Easter, and we've been discovering how the early church got its start. And, and by the time we get to Acts chapter 18, we discover Paul. And yes, this is the same Paul that you heard about last week that had his life dramatically changed uh, by Christ uh, on the road to Damascus. And now Paul is a missionary. Paul is planting churches. And I think we've got a, a map up here. You can see that all these cities, it starts, uh, Paul starts uh, preaching and developing churches in all these cities. And so you can kind of see where Jerusalem is, where the church started. 
And today our story is going to take place in Rome, in Corinth, and in Ephesus. So just kind of make a mental image of that map in your head so you know where we're going today when we talk about this couple we're going to meet. Paul starts in Jerusalem and then he starts going all over the Mediterranean region and planting churches. And we're going to start in Corinth. So you can see Corinth is right there on the Mediterranean Sea. And uh, it's here where we meet Priscilla and Aquila. Everybody say Priscilla. Priscilla. Aquila. Aquila. One of the only couples mentioned in the Bible I know that have rhyming names. So they get bonus points for that, right? Seriously, this is a side note. There was a couple in my church growing up. uh, Their names were Carol and Carol, right? Spelled two different ways, but a man and a woman, their names were Carol and Carol. So they get bonus points as well. Um, Not only do their, their names rhyme, but this couple gives us an excellent picture of what it looks like to make an impact in the life that we've been given, to live a life of influence. And I believe as we encounter their story today, and if we pay attention, I believe that we'll discover three keys to do exactly what Jesus asks all of us, and that is to be a faithful servant, to be faithful with what we've been given. So we begin in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, and we read this. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. So he's hanging out in Greece. Uh, Verse 2, there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered, Claudius is the emperor, had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. So let's pause there in our story for a second. So the first thing we discover about Priscilla and Aquila, if I just say P and E, you know who I'm talking about, right? It's kind of a mouthful. So we're hanging out with P and E today. Uh, So the first thing we, we learn is that they're basically refugees, Right? They're Italiano, right? They're Italian. They're not Greek, right? They're in a country that is not their own, and they find themselves basically kicked out of their home country by the emperor, and now they're living in Corinth. So first, they're refugees in an unknown country, and secondly, in verse 3, if you look ahead, in verse 3, we basically learn that they're selling tents, right? They're tent makers, the same as Paul. They have the same occupation. They're selling tents. They're street vendors, right? (laughs) Not exactly a glamorous job. They're refugees and they're street vendors. Not exactly your ideal setup to be a great biblical hero, right? This is not what you would normally think of of a Bible hero. But instead, they're mentioned over a dozen times in the book of Acts and all throughout Paul's letters. And you wonder why. They're huge influencers in the early church. And in this short uh, short story, we discover why, and the first one is this. So if you're taking notes or if you're keeping, keeping score at home, number one, the first, uh, the first key to their lives was they embraced the detours of life. They embraced the detours of life. When we arrive on this scene, you've got to understand uh, Priscilla and Aquila have every reason to be upset. They have every reason to be resentful with God. Uh, For most of their lives, they've been living in Rome. They probably had a nice home. They probably had great jobs. They were with their family. They were faithful Jews. And then all of a sudden, they're kicked out. They're kicked out of their homeland. They find themselves in an unknown country, out of a job, working long hours as street vendors. They have every reason to be bitter, to be mad. What do you do with the detours of life? Think back over the course of your life. When have you been going along and all of a sudden there's a detour? What do you do when God throws a curveball your way? (laughs) When life suddenly shifts beneath you? 
What do you do with the detours of life? For many of us, even, uh, even if we're getting by today, you might be here and say, yeah, I'm doing okay. I'm doing fine. We'd probably say we've had a few detours in our lives. We've had moments when, when everything was going along as planned, and we had, we had this great picture of our lives. This is what I want to be when I grow up. Some of you that are in your 40s, 50s, and 60s are still trying to figure out what you're going to be when you grow up, uh, and you have this great plan and this great idea for your life, and then detour. You lose your job. Or detour. You wake up and think, how did I end up married to that person living in this city with that job? Or detour. All these years, and I still haven't found the love of my life, and I thought I would have them by now. Or detour. You're packing up the pieces of a divorce. Or detour. Suddenly I find myself in recovery from an addiction, or detour, wow, the kids came a lot sooner than I expected, or detour, we lost somebody close to us. What do you do with the detours of life? We've all had them. And I don't know what it might have been for you or what, what you're going through right now, but for Priscilla and Aquila, life was turned upside down. If you really read the context of this story as as followers of Jesus, they had several options of the way that they would react, and so do we. So when we encounter these setbacks, when we encounter obstacles or detours in our lives, we have several options. The first option is that, well, we can just grow bitter towards God and others. And I don't know if you've ever wondered this. You just wonder, is God punishing me? Right? Has God left me? I I can imagine Priscilla and Aquila feeling that. The second option we have is we can simply lose heart and just give up, right? You might think, oh, I never do that, but I've seen it so often. If you start looking around and you think about different people that have come and gone in your life, you you meet great Christian people a lot of times in the church. People just like Priscilla Aquila. Everything was going great. And then detour or setback. They were active in the church. They were feeling good. And then at the first sign of pain, or at the first sign of setback, gone. You don't, you don't see these people anymore. And, and maybe you've been there and, you've, and you are that person and you've thought, this is too much to handle. And so instead of going back to church, I'm just going to isolate myself. I'm, I'm facing this detour in my life. And so I, don't, I wouldn't want to go to church because everybody's smiling and happy there. And what if they found out things were not going well for me? right? Maybe you've thought that the church family is the last place where I want to be. Why should I keep coming to worship when I don't feel like there's anything to worship about? You ever felt that? I can imagine that's what Priscilla and Aquila are going through. And so we just say, you know, I, I think I'm just going to isolate. I'm just going to pull back from the family. Now, don't hear me wrong, Priscilla and Aquila knew Jesus' famous words in John chapter 16 where he says, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble, but they also knew the second part of that verse that says, or Jesus says this, take heart, for I've overcome the world. For I've overcome the world. Do you know this morning that detours are not the end of your story? If any of those things I mentioned applies to you, you're thinking, I've got a pretty clear picture of the detour I'm on right now. Do you know that detours are not the end of the road for you? That our, our disappointments, our failures, our weaknesses are not the end of the story for you? Do you know that the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you this morning? 
So no matter what you're going through, no matter what your situation might be with your mom or with your family this morning, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You have been given the power to overcome. And that, that, that he's overcome everything that you might encounter. So whether you're a 60-year-old today or a 30-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 5-year-old, you don't have to live as orphans who have been abandoned. You can live as children who have been set and secure. So Priscilla and Aquila are facing this detour and they choose a different route. They embrace it. They embrace the detour. And so you might be sitting there today and, and, and saying, you know what, I can't change what's happened to me. And this is what they did. We can't change what's happened to us. And this might be the most unideal circumstances in the world, but what they asked is, how can God use us right where we're at? And God answers their prayer. Look at verse 3. They hear about Paul the Apostle being in town. He's gaining popularity, and he's a pretty famous guy. And so they say, hey, we don't have much, but what we do have is a small home, right? Probably not much bigger than the tents that we're selling and that we're making, right? But we can serve God by giving Paul a place to stay. And because of Priscilla and Aquila's hospitality, Paul has a place to stay and preach the gospel to many people. They looked at their detour and said, we would much rather be in Rome, right? We'd much rather be at home in Italy, but we're here in Corinth. So my question to you this morning is, what do you do when you want to be there, but you're here? Whatever that here is for you, right? You're here and you want to be there. You want your circumstances to change. You'd rather be somewhere else. What do you do? And the danger is, here's the danger, when we formulate plans to fulfill what we perceive to be the purpose of our lives, and suddenly those plans get derailed, we just label ourselves failure, right? We get this picture of what our lives should look like or where we should be in our lives by now, and if we don't measure up to that, if our plans get derailed, we deem ourselves failures. But not to God. He knows the bigger picture. He sees your road. He knows all the detours. He knows all the windy roads. But what we learn from Priscilla and Aquila is when we embrace the detours of life, we become people of influence, right where we're at. By something as simple as opening up their home for Paul to preach the gospel, Priscilla and Aquila sees past the detour, and then they move on to our second key for today, to living a life of influence, and that's this. Number two, use what you've been given. Use what you've been given. So first we embrace the detour, and then we use what we've been given. The story goes on in Acts 18. If you, if you look and breeze over the rest of the story there, we discover that, that uh, P and E have actually been traveling with Paul. So they meet him in Corinth, and then they travel with Paul on his missionary journeys. They completely let go of their need to control the future, right? And now all of a sudden they find themselves in Ephesus. So skip down to verse 24. We're going to move ahead in the story to our scripture for today. So they've been traveling around with Paul, and Paul drops them off in Ephesus. So now they're not even in their home in Italy. They're not in Corinth. They're in their third home, right? So their lives have been completely uprooted, and now they find themselves in Ephesus. And what do they do? Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, 
a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And skip down to verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So again, here's Priscilla and Aquila, and we call them, uh, in, in a foreign city. And what do they do? They open up their home again to spread the gospel again, this time to Apollos, who is another apostle. And I can't imagine that it's anything uh, too big. And if they're missionaries at this point, money has to be pretty scarce. So what do they do? They offer what they have. They use what they've been given, and that's their hospitality. That's their home. What do you believe your home is for? Those of you that have been gifted with a home or, or an apartment or a place of your own, what do you think it's for? What's it for? What, it, what has God given that to you for? Yeah, it's for protection to have a roof over your head and a place to sleep at night and a place to eat, but is the home that you've been given by God, is it primarily for you or for others? Think about that for a second. Why has God given you that home? In fact, it's been, it's been awesome to see over the last four years how so many of you have blessed this community simply by opening up your homes. That because we are a mobile church, uh, we're doing the same thing. We've had to do the same things that Priscilla and Aquila did, right? There's no church building, right? So Paul is a traveling evangelist. Where is he going to stay? Not at the church. There isn't one because the church is people, right? So he stays at their home. And so many of you have hosted countless uh, small groups and, and, and Bible studies and, and church events at your home, in your living room, on your porches, wherever we can fit people. In fact, uh, a few, I don't know, a couple months ago, I was driving around with a friend from out of town and he knew nothing about our church. And he's like, I really want to see your church, right? So we hop in my car and I start driving him around the neighborhood. I'm like, well, there's the school. And he's like, no, I want to see your church. Well, that's it right there, right? That, that's the school, that end of the building, right? And that's our luxury suite cafeteria just off to the left there. Um, it's like, oh, right. Yeah, so yeah, the, the church is more kind of out and about. So he's like, so, like, where do you do groups and classes and stuff? I'm like, oh, let me drive you down the street here to our educational wing. Uh, and so I just drove him down the street, and then I'm pointing out, you know, different homes and apartments and stuff like that. And, and then we drive down and, and a couple more blocks down. Oh, there's our missions department over there. And then we go drive down to some other of your apartments and homes. And I say, there's our communications department over there. Uh, and uh, that's where our adult ministry team meets over there. And uh, uh, that's where the administrative team meets. Uh, children's ministry is located down the block there, right? And so it was just all over the place. And he was just going, what? Like, it just didn't make any sense to him that the church was not just here as a building, Right? The church is in your living rooms and homes, so much so that the ministry of this church would never have taken place the last four years if you didn't embrace this idea, use what you've been given. Use what you've been given. For some of you, God is wanting to make a powerful impact through your life, and all he's asking you to do is open up your front door. It's as simple as that. But for some reason, a lot of us get all hung up on this idea that my house has to be perfect, that in order to host a, a small group or a, a church function in my home, it's got to resemble the Sistine Chapel for some reason, right? This is just not normal. Let's, if we're going to do something church, let's do it at the church building, because heaven forbid that the church move into your life, into real life. In fact, um, I, don't, I don't know what this was. Maybe a few months ago. No, no, it was a couple years ago. Never mind. 
A couple years ago, um, I was talking with my wife, Tiffany, and we were, we were both getting ready to start life groups in our home. And I'm like, well, I, I want to start a life group, and I think it's going to be on Sundays. And then she said, well, that's funny, because I was going to start a women's life group, and it was going to be on Thursdays. And so here I am, and I'm like, I am so overworked right now, and the last thing I want to do is keep our house clean, right? So I'm thinking, and, I, and I'm free, this is weird, right? I'm like being the female here. I'm freaking out, because I'm like... She's like, you never clean anyway. Why would it matter to you? Um, and I'm like, I'm freaking out because we're going to have to keep the house clean from Sunday night all the way to the end of the week. I'm like, I don't want to do that. She's like, I'm going to be doing it anyway. And I'm just going on and on and I'm freaking out because I'm like, oh man, what if people see the pastor's house and it's dirty? What if it's a mess? And I'll, <laughs> and I'll never forget, she, <laughs> she looks at me. I want to make sure that I get this right. And uh, she, she replied with her usual love and grace uh, and forcefulness. And she looks me right in the eyes and she says, Honey, is this a museum or a home? Busted, right? Busted. Folks, use what you've been given. If we are doing life together... That means that we invite each other into our lives, whether it's the mess of Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon, not just your Sunday best. We invite people into our lives as if we live in our homes. Invite people into the messiness of your life. That's what people outside the church are looking for. They're not looking for the Sistine Chapel. They're looking for the authentic you. Open up your house. Open up your doors. That's one of the things that we learn from Priscilla and Aquila. That's what they can attest. But see, this idea goes way beyond homes. Let's not get stuck on that. For some of you, you don't have a home to call your own, but you have gifts. You have talents. You have unique experiences that, that in your life that God is saying, if you will just let go of it, if you will just let go of the need to control every aspect of your life and surrender it to me, you're not going to get to the end of your life having just buried it in the sand. This, this gift that God's given to you, don't just bury it. In fact, Jesus tells a parable all about this in Matthew chapter 25. You don't have to turn there. I'll just kind of walk you through the story. There's, there's a master. There's a, a head of a big mansion, and he goes away, and he entrusts uh, three different servants with three different amounts of money, of, of gold coins. These this, this gifts is what they've been given according to their ability. And so uh, they each go off and the, the, the master leaves the home. And so he says, go and, and, and use it. Be good and faithful servants. And so they go off and two of them invest it and they, and they use it and they, they use it to make a profit and they, they, they use it. They do something with it. But the final servant, he gets so wrapped up in fear as if something is going to happen and he buries it. He gets out a spade and he buries it and he does nothing with it. And at the end of the story... The master comes back and he looks at these three servants and to the two that did something with it, that actually used what they were given, he says those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But to the one who buried it in the sand, who buried it into the ground, well, he missed out on the joy. Something the master told them was, come and share in your master's happiness. Some of you are missing out of the joy of life because you can't just open your front door. You can't open your heart. That's a lock that needs to be opened and shared. You have a gift. You have a life 
to be shared. And so we have a father in heaven that has blessed us beyond compare. And he says, I haven't given you everything that you have so that you can keep it to yourself because it was never yours anyway. It was on loan. What if we started to view everything that we have, everything that we've been given, our house, our vehicles, our, pose- our possessions, even, even what you've been given, your, your unideal, boring job, right? <laughs> it's a gift, right? What if we started seeing all those things as something to be used for others? So here's my challenge to you. This would be a great exercise for you. Uh, yourself, with your spouse, with your family, is this. Get a big old sheet of paper. Go home and do this sometime this week. Get a big old post board, a big old sheet of paper. And on one side of it, just make a list and write down everything that you have. I mean, not all the way down to like grains of macaroni and cheese or something like that, but just make a list of everything that you have, everything that you would say that's mine or that's ours. Do this as a family. Do this as a couple. Write down everything that you've been given on the left side of the page. And then on the right side of the page, just leave it open and lay it on your table that you're going to see for a few days. And every time you look at it, ask God to show you, what do you want me to use that for? God, what do you want to use that for? Make a list of everything that you have. And then as he starts speaking to you and he starts showing you these things, on the other side, on the right side of the column, write down what God wants to use it for. You might be surprised. You might think it was, it's, it's functional. It's just there to get me by. And God says, oh no, I've got much bigger plans in store. I haven't given you that so you can hoard it. And you start asking the question, what's my apartment for? What's my flexible schedule for? What's this extra time I've been given in my retirement for? What's my checkbook for? What's my gift of, of creativity and the arts for? And you start asking these questions and then have the courage to follow him, to, to, to go where he leads you. I just, I dare you to do that. Dangerous. Could change your life. What if we started to view everything on loan from God and we're just stewards of it? And we're just stewards of it. In fact, moms, what if we viewed, you viewed your kids that way? <laughs> the most important gift that maybe you've been given, your kids. What if you start, what if you put them on your list? And said, God, what would you have me do? How would, how would you teach me to be a good steward of these children that you've given me? And so since it's a special day, I, I wanted to take a look at one mother's story, and her name is Dawn. And if you listen closely to her story, you'll hear how specifically as a mom, she's embraced the detour, and now she's being a steward of her greatest gifts, her children. Let's take a look. I have to be honest, I never wanted kids. I got married, I got into my career, and I found a lot of satisfaction in what I did there. I think somewhere deep down inside, I knew there were going to be a lot of work, and I didn't feel like I was prepared to deal with such a hard job. Guys, I can hear you guys fighting. Can you guys just stay focused, please? Emma is my firstborn. She tends to be very responsible. Sam is my second, and he's very smart and creative. And then there's Thomas. He's six, and he is non-stop boy. 
Well, my life in the morning is kind of like being a general um, coming out of a tornado. Sam, that is his quarter. Leave him alone. I have to get the troops up. I have to get them dressed. And I get them out the door to get them to school on time. Bye, guys. Have a good day, Sam. And once I drop my kids off, I get some much-needed personal time. The role of a mom has been hard for me at times. I feel like I'm never doing enough, and there's always something more to do. There's this internal image of the perfect mom that I can never really measure up to. Or I fall into the isolation that comes from being a mom. Especially when they were really young, I would go sometimes weeks without seeing friends because my kids were sick or not sleeping, and it was very isolated. In all these areas, God has been patiently healing my heart. His grace has shown that I don't need to be a perfect person, and the more I rely on His wisdom and strength, the easier my task becomes. To go from not wanting kids to actually seeing my role as a mom, as a high calling and something valuable, has been a gradual process. I've realized that God has called all of us to be faithful with what He's given us, and in my case, it's my kids. I only have one shot at this. I'm going to be the one to stand before God and He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with the little humans that I gave you to form? Success is being obedient to what God's given me. And if He's placed me as a mom and I do it for Him, and I'm empowered by His wisdom, then that's going to bring Him glory. I think one day if I was sitting across from God, I'd like to hear Him say, Don, you did it. I know you didn't go into this with all the equipment that maybe other people went with, but didn't I know better than you did? And wasn't there a tremendous blessing in taking you down this road? You were obedient to my call, and you did a good job of raising these kids. Well done. Yeah, please help me to have a good day at the picnic, and please help me have a good night's sleep, and in your name, amen. Well, for some of you, the first half of that video might have reminded you of uh, your house in the mornings managing chaos. Uh, but if you listen closely, I think you'll hear a modern-day Priscilla. And if you listen closely, I pray that you heard you. You might have heard you with many of the same doubts and, and questions that, that maybe you've thought, 
I didn't plan on this. <laughs> Whether you're a mom or whatever else is going on in your life, I didn't plan on this. I, I, I doubt, I wonder, God, if I'm ever going to measure up. And it's, like she said, it's so easy to get isolated. But as you heard that video, I hope you didn't miss the incredible promises of God either, that you don't have to be perfect today. And I want you to hear this this morning, that the role of a mother is a high and noble calling. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. It is a high and noble calling. And God, I I hope that you hear that. Moms, not just you, but everybody. Well done. (laughs) Well done. I, I, I hope that you hear that. Did you hear what she said about success? I love her definition of success. She said, success is simply being obedient with what God has given to me. Not avoiding pains and struggles. You're not successful as a Christian if your life is easy. That was never the point, right? Success is not avoiding pain. It's not getting everything that you want. And it's not perfection. Success is trusting, for all of us, is trusting that what God has given us is enough to do everything that he's called us to do. That's success in this life. Of course, on a day like today, it'd be easy to think, well, okay, I'm not a mom, and so it doesn't really apply to me. Or even if, you know, I was a mother or a father, but now my kids are all grown up, or I've never had kids, or I'm still single, so what do I have to offer? Your life, your love, your time, your experience. We're in this story, back to the story in Acts 18, we're, we're never told how old Priscilla and Aquila are, but we're also, we never f- discover that they have kids. So we're assuming that they don't, and so we could assume that they were either without kids or that they were empty nesters. And so whatever the case is, it brings us to our third and final key for today to be people of influence to make an impact. And it's actually the most important. So back to the story one last time, verse 24. And we learn about Apollos. Apollos, we discover, verse 24. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor. Meaning he was passionate, and he taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. Verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained, every, explained to him the way of God more adequately. In other words, even though he was a great teacher and an evangelist, Priscilla and Aquila had something that Apollos did not have, namely, maturity. And we learn in the rest of the story, verse 25, we we read, Apollos only knew about John's version of baptism, which was forgiveness of sins. He didn't know that when you got baptized, Jesus brings you new life and empowers you with the Holy Spirit. He didn't know the rest of the story. He needed some guidance. He needed some mentoring in the faith which is the third and most important aspect to living a life of faithfulness, and that's pass on the faith. Pass on what you've been given. Pass it on. Say, pass it on. Believe, believe that the love and the wisdom that you have been given isn't just so you can kick up your feet and coast through adulthood right into retirement. That's not why God has made you an adult. That's not why God has given you those experiences. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Titus. He's writing to uh, this, this new church leader, Titus, and to this early church. And he says this, Teach the older men to be temperate, 
worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Men, does that describe you? Verse 3, likewise teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, to teach what is good. Verse 6, similarly encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And then, in everything, set them an example by doing what is good with integrity. With integrity. In other words, Paul writes, one of the characteristics of a healthy church is when one generation is passing on the faith to the next generation. When there's this interaction between generations. When the men and women who are a little bit older in years, who are a little bit more mature, are living lives among the other believers that make young men and women look at your life and say, I want that. Does that describe our church? That describes a healthy church, Paul says, where young men and women can look at your life and say, I want that and I can live that way because I've seen it modeled in front of me. Pass it on. Pass on the faith. Chances are the reason that many of you are here today is because somebody did that for you. If we went around the room today, I bet every single one of us could say, that person passed it on to me. That person was a mentor, a role model, an example in the faith for me. Not a program, not a class. Life on life, investment. I want to close with this story. I think it really kind of puts a lid on where we've been going today. What, one of the, the, the powerful ways that we've seen this take place is right here under our own roof. You may not know this, but for the last uh, school year here, for the last year, we've had 15 uh, adults from this church acting as mentors for kids right here at Hubble. In fact, over a year ago, our missions team went and talked to the principal here at Hubble, and we said, sky's the limit, right? Just shoot for the moon. What do you need us to do? What is the biggest issue facing the school and the biggest issue that we could really make an impact in this community? What would you want us to do? And without a doubt, hands down, he said, mentors. Positive adult role models. I'm not looking for people that are perfect. I'm looking for people that have time to love. Half an hour a week. That's what we're looking for. And we said, we can do that, right? And so 15 of you stepped up, and it has been absolutely incredible. And it's made a visible difference. Like the, the, the principal and the teachers say, the kids that have mentors are different. There is something different about them. You've passed on something to them. You've modeled something for them. This next Wednesday, there's a celebration, and if you're interested in that and want to get involved in that next school year, come this Wednesday, just over your lunch break. Come right here to Hubble. There's information about it in your bulletin if you want to learn about this. So a couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to come and, and view it for myself and check out what this is all about. So I hooked up with a couple of our mentors here on a, a Wednesday noon, and I came and we had lunch together, and then we went to not only the kids' favorite class of the day, but the adults' favorite class of the day, recess. And so we went outside and, and first we were, I'm like, we're out here, wherever it is, on the playground out here outside Hubble with like what seems like a sea of like 10,000 kids. And then there's like three of us adults that are like eight feet tall, it seems like. And we're walking around. At first I wonder like, okay, these boys are like in like fourth grade. I, are they just going to be really like nervous and like, uh, I don't really want to be seen with these goofy looking adults and what's that all about? So, but then we brought out the Frisbee. And first it was just a few of us and we were playing Frisbee and everything was good. And then you should see the looks on these kids' faces. Like all these heads start to turn and they go, oh, 
big people, right? And their faces just turn, and over and over, there's this, this look on their face that just screamed, they want to spend time with us? They, they, they want to hang out with, they're, they're playing with us? Oh, I want to get in on that, right? And so all of a sudden, our Frisbee game of like, the three of us and these two kids turned into like a game of like 25 kids all scrambling and like throwing elbows and beating each other up for the Frisbee. It was awesome. Um, and they're saying, I want to get in on that. And, and then the bell rings and we're walking back in and you should have seen the look of pride on these kids' faces as they are walking side by side with their mentors. This look on their faces that said, yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, I'm, I'm with him. Folks, that's what it's all about. Pa- passing it on. Will you pass on the faith? Will you take the time, just like Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, to speak words of truth and affirmation and spend time with others? Look around you today. Look around you. Who can you pass it on to? There are younger men and there are younger women, younger couples all around you here today in the church, in your workplaces, all around this city, and most importantly, under your own roof that need to know what a godly man looks like, what a godly woman looks like. Desperately longing to know what that looks like. Pass it on. Success. What we learn from Priscilla and Aquila, success is simply being obedient with what he's given me. Embracing the detours that come your way. Using whatever it is that he's given you for his glory and passing on the faith. Today, I pray that each of us would hear the words that Dawn heard from her father in heaven in that video. I pray that each of us would hear those words. You are not alone in this. You're doing a great job. I am with you. Keep the faith. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's stand together.